Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Over the past week, new Twitter CEO Elon Musk has directed the release of The Twitter Files, internal documents detailing controversial decisions made by senior Twitter staff before Musk's takeover of the company. The first batch, reviewed and released on Twitter by independent left-leaning journalist Matt Taibbi, concerned the previous Twitter management's most controversial decision, the suppression of reporting by the New York Post on the contents of a laptop computer left at a repair shop by then-presidential candidate Joe Biden's son Hunter. Joining me to discuss Musk's approach, Taibbi's reporting, and the fallout from both are my colleagues Sarah Lee and Ken Braun. Uh, Sarah and Ken, welcome back to the show. Hi, Mike. Dandy. Uh, so, Sarah, we last had the three of us together uh, to discuss Elon Musk when it appeared he was going to be joining Twitter's board. Uh, this was back in April. Um, since then, he didn't join the board and staged a hostile takeover of the company. Uh, so where, where are things, where are things now with Twitter under Musk, people's reactions to it set the stage? Okay. So he, he did indeed take over the company and there was a lot of, you know, consternation from, People mainly on the left, certainly in the media, that this was going. You're still seeing it, actually. That I saw something today that he's a he's a tyrant. He's a you know, ah, oh, Musk is terrible. But to be honest with you, he's had a, a great deal of fun for one thing um, <clears throat> with his takeover. He's he's got plans. It looks like to monetize the platform uh, using Twitter Blue, the check mark, as a sort of um, you know carrot to do that. Uh, there were some problems with advertisers leaving. He seems to have worked that out, which is an interesting part of this story. But here recently, and I'm going to let Ken talk mostly about this since he's our FBI guy. Here recently, he has really taken on, he's always been interested in the notion of censorship. I believe that he uh, cares about that. He, he thinks about it in terms of sort of civilizational health, uh, societal health. And recently he has made available documents related to what was actually happening behind the scenes, um, specifically with the Hunter Biden laptop story that was censored. But yeah, as, a, as of as of recording, the one unit of the Twitter files that have been released are the ones that were given to Matt Taibbi about the Hunter Biden. Right. So he's so reaction to that has been. People on, to be honest with you, you and I both use Twitter. Ken does as well. I haven't noticed a ton of changes yet, but I do feel like uh, the censorship issue is improving. That's been my personal take. That's what it looks like from people who are conservative using the app. The left is melting down a little bit, uh, which they they tend to do that when things start to get out of their control. Um, so that's what it's looking like as a third party observer. But I'm going to let Ken talk about what happened with the Twitter files because he's our guy on that and it's pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Ken, what, what did Taibbi report? What, what were these, what's new? Uh, so he come, the, the FBI hook on this is that former FBI general counsel, Jim Baker uh, was involved, was one of the people that didn't get fired until yesterday uh, from Twitter, um, from the old regime, it turns out Baker was involved in 
two items important to this story. Number one, he was involved in the discussions and decision to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. And most recently, he was... Before we get into what Baker did with while at Twitter, at the FBI, was was he was involved with yeah. the whole Trump-Russia steel dossier right. stuff, right? Much so. I was... Yeah, I was going to get to that next. He he was um he's kind of like the Forrest Gump of scandals uh, when it comes to his career. He he's always, he keeps showing up at all these these interesting junctures when 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 um people's eyebrows are getting raised about exactly what he's up to. Um, he was the general counsel of the FBI, who Michael Sussman, Hillary Clinton, Perkins Coie lawyer, came to with the Alpha Banks. Uh, hoax is what it was. It was this assertion that somehow the Trump organization was communicating with this mysterious bank in Russia that was connected to all these oligarchs. Total nonsense. Sussman shows up on his friend Jim Baker's doorstep at the FBI. Not, you know, this is how things work for folks like this. They can just go in and talk to the general counsel of the FBI. And Sussman says, hey, we, we think the Trump organization is, is communicating with Russia. And oh, by the way, I'm not here on behalf of, of, of any particular candidate or campaign or anything. I'm just yeah, here okay. as a good citizen. Uh, Sussman ends up going to... <laughs> Sussman ends up getting prosecuted uh, for this, for... The allegation was that he had lied to the FBI, namely to Jim Baker, his good buddy. Um, the jury acquits Sussman of this charge. Um, I, so I won't say that Sussman was guilty of the charge. Let's just say that all of the stated facts of the case seem to create a discrepancy between what Sussman should have known and what Sussman ended up telling his good buddy, Jim Baker. Um it's the classic, even if, even if what you did wasn't technically criminal, it all looks really, really weird. Uh, apparently, the jury didn't think it went beyond reasonable doubt that he was um, lying. Um, I have and then doubts, Jim Baker but, uh, magically ends up at Twitter, which is the most fascinating part of all right. of this. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he in, in the course of the trial of Sussman, Baker, I think you could characterize as a hostile witness. He's got, you know, John, uh, the counsel, John Durham, is trying to prosecute this man for lying to the FBI. He's got the FBI general counsel sitting there, who's the one he allegedly lied to. And the general counsel is saying things like, well, this isn't my investigation. It's yours. You know, basically, you go prove it. I mean, he's saying right in front of the jury. So, you know, very helpful FBI agent. Um, anyway, after this, after the, after these, you know, this sort of um, interesting FBI career that he has helping the Trump-Russia hoax get off the ground, this apparently qualifies him to suppress information at Twitter as well. And, uh, and he leaves, Baker leaves the FBI before, before all the Sussman trial is made public certainly yeah he is brought back and he left in disgrace didn't he there was an investigation involving potential leaking and, and items of that nature I, I don't believe that investigation ever got off the ground to the press to, to the press yeah yeah but leaking to the press right 
you know, so I mean, which I think is interesting in the context of censoring news stories at Twitter as his next we can, we, job. <laughs> there's a lot of weeds we can get into about FBI for sure. Certain, right. So. so amid so amid controversy, Baker leaves the FBI and goes to Twitter, and then what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at Twitter, he is involved in in the during the 2020 election. Um, in, involved first of all, he was you know Twitter became more of a uh, a, a that some of the media like to try and draw that distinction that only government can censor. So, so let's let's leave the censorship aside. Let's just call it free speech suppression, which is what Twitter was involved in and what, as the Twitter council, general council. Um, preferred euphemism is content moderation. Right. <laughs> content. If you're, that, that's the, uh, the new speak uh, version. Yeah. Um, so he is then directly it's like digital picket line from earlier, Mike. Right. So he's directly involved. These Twitter files that have just come out this week from that type of show that uh, that that Baker was involved in the decision and, and part of the you know willing to to believe the Russia disinformation allegation, which we now know is nonsense as well and help suppress this information from coming out. Somehow, in the purging Elon was doing when he took over the company, Baker missed, Baker's head didn't roll. And uh, he held on until yesterday. So, you know, I've, I've, I've heard people talking about that, and some people are actually suggesting, and I don't know if this is true, it, it sort of borders on maybe, it feels a little conspiracy theory-esque, but they've been saying, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Musk are you, you got to believe he had documentation about where these people were coming from. Any of the employees that he had, I'm sure he knew who Baker was, that the, there's a chance yeah. he kept him on just so something like this might happen and he could potentially expose what had been going on because he was clearly on the censorship sort of train trying to trying to get rid of it. He had been talking about it. So I don't know if that's the case. I've heard that floated. I think you know, anything's possible, but the house. And I'll tell you why I think there might. I'll tell you why I think there might be something to that because Miranda Devine, who wrote the original laptop story, which is, by the way, if we didn't mention before, that's what we're talking about—the Hunter Biden laptop story in the New York Post back in October of 2020. Is that right? Yeah, right right before the presidential election. Right. So they they write this story. We all know what it is now. And Twitter basically censored it and it's, took it down. Yeah, and yeah, you couldn't even was, share it. You couldn't even send it in direct messages. After a, after a couple, of, after a letter published with the signatures of a couple of dozen FBI, CIA, NSA, all the three-letter agency folks, some of them uh with rather checkered careers about giving giving truthful testimony to Congress, claimed that it was Russian disinformation based on zero evidence. Right. And, and it was hacked. That it was hacked materials and Twitter 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 suppressed it on the grounds that it was ostensibly hacked. Mm-hmm. But the Twitter files that have come out now, they're saying they knew internally that was BS. They knew it. They certainly, they certainly, the, the, the yeah. Hat. They certainly strongly indicate that they, they certainly did not affirmatively know it to be true that 
I think the exact quote was, this is effed. <laughs> but spell that word out. <laughs> like, they knew. But Miranda Devine, what I was going to say is, I heard her last night talking about when the original Twitter files came out, and there's supposedly more to come. She wrote the original laptop story. And the reason that they knew that the FBI was pre-bunking, as she called it, this story to Twitter before it actually went out was because the FBI had been surveilling Rudy Giuliani's cloud. And that's how they knew about this story, because Giuliani ha- was in possession of the laptop file of some kind, either the laptop itself or the or a, a backup of it. And so they knew that it was coming. They told Twitter. And so when Divine saw the Twitter files and nothing really was in there about the FBI, she was like, this has been redacted. Um, I guess I didn't know. So that's how this whole Baker thing. I guess came I know out. things could be possible. I I would say, uh, right after he took over the company, and uh, you know, all through this time, um, into great hand wringing and screaming from former Twitter employees, must have been cleaning house um, from the top down, and you can't fire everybody. So I, I you know, the decision to keep on a formerly high-ranking FBI official um, could have a whole lot of reasons, not many of them non-nefarious. Um, but what happened this week was, just to yeah. pull the, pull, put the bow on this, it was discovered that Baker, unbeknownst to Musk, was was one of the people who was vetting these documents that were turned over to and uh, we should mention Barry Weiss, uh, another independent journalist writing on Substack, um, who will uh, apparently be handling more of these. As of the time of recording, Weiss has not published any reporting, but she it has it has been said, I think, by Musk himself that she has been given these files. Yeah, and, and by Taibbi, the two of them. Have- and she's the one who, yeah, she's the one who figured out that it was Jim Baker according to Taibbi's Twitter thread, that she actually asked, she was in some kind of conversation with Twitter. And they, they were getting kind of, I don't know if I would call it slow walking, but that Taibbi kind of characterized it as, you know, something changed. They weren't getting the same access. They were, it was kind of chaotic. And so she asked like, she, or she saw something that indicated some guy named Jim was the one vetting them. And they figured out who it was. Yeah. And she said her Tybee's thread said that she said her jaw just dropped. I mean, just step back and look at what this, what this man is, I mean, Musk has, I mean, this, this looks like just a horrible bunch of, of whiny insubordinate subversive employees that they have there who will, uh, who will stop at nothing to, to hang on to what they That's right. You know what I think is the funniest about the whole thing, though, including this and everything, you know, related to him buying the company, et cetera, mostly about this, though, is the the narrative changes that have had to happen. So first, the laptop wasn't real. Then it was Russian, you know, disinformation. Then it was hacked materials. Now it's real, but it's just uh, revenge porn. Oh, and by the way, Elon Musk should have known Jim Baker was this bad. Why did he keep him on? Like, it's this train of hilarious, like... (laughs) So the the libs are saying that, you know... This is old news. The only new revelation supposedly is that Taibbi uh, 
released a, a one of the documents was somebody from the Biden campaign saying, "Hey, can you please take down some tweets?" And then among uh, I saw it from Andrew Kerr went into the uh, you know conservative journalist went into the Internet Archive Wayback Machine and found that at least some of them were obscene photographs. Uh, that you know there is a non nefarious reason for taking down. Uh, so see, it's no big deal. Why is that wrong? Uh, yeah, you know, and that goes to something that uh, Carol Markowitz wrote for Fox News about all of this. And she also works for the New York Post, writes for the New York Post. So she knows Miranda Devine. She's the one, that's where I found out that Devine had said they were actually surveilling Giuliani's cloud under the pretext of some, you know, FARA violation. Okay, that's how the FBI knew about this. But this is interesting because we've written about this article that Carol cites. She's talking about, um, you know, the the fact that the media, that there's a, there's a double standard here. She says that uh, it's, and I'm just going to read this. It's important to the left that this story goes away because it confirms something that so many Americans believe to be true, that there is not equal treatment for both sides. In a Time Magazine piece in February of 2021, Molly Ball told the story of a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. Right. So there's that standard for the left, but the standard apparently for Elon Musk trying to sort of, you know, make things um, transparent, he's all of a sudden now some kind of tyrant. It's very interesting. And I think that this story kind of bears all of that out. I think what's big about this. I think what's big about this and is I would consider what we've seen so far some throat clearing. There's supposed to be some more coming out. Mm-hmm. So the initial part of if you're going to read, if you've got a whole pile of information to release, it took, I think Taibi said it took him two hours to download everything or, or at least it, it, somewhere I read that it was a two hour process of putting all this out on Twitter um, Friday evening, I believe it was. Um if you've got more to do, I mean, you don't want to hit the audience with all of it right away. And it's important, I think, at the outset to establish that, yeah, everything that you've heard already that happened, here's here's the receipts. Here's the backup internally for what you already know has occurred. This laptop story was suppressed. It was suppressed because all of these supposed experts in intelligence, apolitical experts, let's add to that. Um, list uh, were saying that this was Russian disinformation. It wasn't real and don't pay attention to it, even though it, it has turned out to be absolutely real and we should have paid attention to it. And proving that what we had here was a case of suppression. It was a, a political, an important political story right ahead of an election. And, um, and now what we're getting from the media isn't... It, it, is an acknowledgement that this suppression was going on, which you think should be a story, but instead a suppression of it again. And Tidy um, has written about this in other uh, regarding other stories, uh, and I'm going to try and paraphrase it. And what we have going on here: the media used to make mistakes all the time. You know, 
they would make errors of omission. We forgot to report, and we didn't report on something important. They would act, you know, errors of commission. The government gave us this fake story about Vietnam or whatever, and we reported it with, you know, really checking to see if it was true or not. They still make all those mistakes, but today's media is into a very strange new world where they are repeatedly engaging in an effort of suppressing news from coming out if it isn't coming out from one of their mainstream sources. And what all of these receipts from Twitter, these these internal statements are telling us now, yeah, it definitely happened. It happened here at Twitter. It's probably happening everywhere else too. But because the because Musk has the power to turn these documents over, and, and you know, think think of how remarkable that is. If somebody had internally turned over a whole bunch of ter- Twitter internal documents, those are the sort of things the media celebrates and writes lots of stories about and praises their internal whistleblower. But when you've got a guy doing it on purpose, now it's somehow um, the wrong thing. So I think this has really shown two things: that all of this is real. And we are in it. It's worthy of paying attention to. And the backlash against it has proved exactly what the mainstream media has been about all along. And they're doing it again. And I guess the third thing is, you know, we're going to get more. And, you know, who knows where it's going. Yeah. And let me just say one more thing. It's not even really. It's Well, it is about what you just said. Um, but it's also about. It's not just that the media. um is suppressing news. They're also spinning the hell out of it, right? Like I was just reading this Bloomberg article on the Tim Cook, Elon Musk, you know, advertiser flap. And this guy is just a a columnist for Bloomberg. who writes about business and he's got this, just listen to this paragraph. It's clear that that Twitter would struggle to survive an all-out war with Apple. The App Store provides access to more than 1.5 billion devices, and it's a top way for people to get the Twitter app. Musk has said that he could build his own phone and operating system, letting him sidestep Apple and Google. But the complexity of that endeavor makes it highly unlikely. This is a man who builds rockets that land backwards. And Bloomberg's business guy is like, no, no, no. This whole article is about how Tim Cook of Apple had to go calm Elon Musk down. And that's why the advertising is back. And that's why Apple didn't drop the app. It is the silliest spin I think I've seen in a while. And you see it all the time in media. As somebody, as somebody who is skeptic, as somebody who is skeptical of the antitrust case against the big tech companies, uh, the idea that Apple would lock Twitter out of its app store uh, seems to me to be making the antitrust case for the people who support the antitrust case. Yeah, DeSantis was actually just saying and, that. He said if Apple did that, it would be a gigantic proof of monopolistic power. That's a that's an interesting um that's a, that is a fascinating thought on a lot of levels. All of the advertisers that are not, uh, you know, saying that, you know, that they were dropping off of Twitter until they, you know, as they were saying, we want to just see what the lay of the land is. Some of the automakers, and for example, who obviously have an axe to grind against the Tesla CEO, um, the, 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 an antitrust case that showed even the slightest hint of collusion amongst the automakers and other tech companies in this decision would, I, I, I'm not a lawyer, let alone an antitrust lawyer, but that seem, would seem to be some pretty uh, 
explosive material, legally speaking. Yeah, it's that. And then there's also, I, I found an article the other day that were this Section 230 argument has been brought up in relation to, since we're pulling out, you know, potential lawsuits related to Twitter, there's a guy who's looking to potentially sue Twitter over for Section 230 or, or will, will run a foul or will run up against Section 230 because he's basically saying that Twitter did not, it's a consumer fraud sort of allegation that Twitter didn't, in, you know, tell consumers who were blue check marks that that was no longer going to be a verification thing. And so this might run up on the Section 230 thing and he's researching whether or not they can get around it. So the point I'm trying to make is the monopoly question, the big tech monopoly question and Section 230, they're throwing all of these very politicized things out there. In this, and which makes me think Musk has done something right because they're having to talk about this stuff. The blue check mark item we didn't get. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, what do we think? Obviously, we have no idea what is in any subsequent Twitter files to come. What sort of things are we would we be looking for that would either, you know, make the case about the Ancien regime? at Twitter or maybe call into question that maybe the Hunter Biden thing was a one-off. Mm. I don't know. You want to go first, Ken? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really don't um, ha- have informed speculation on that at all. Um, I think, I, I think it, it, we may be getting more of the Hunter Biden stuff. That's a possibility, you know, just to what degree the, the, the FBI or some of the other security agencies may have, um, you know, either officially or back channel or, or even former, um, I mean, the, that letter that was that signed by those dozens of, of people who, who claimed that it was Russian disinformation. I mean, what I'd like to know, and it isn't, likely to come out with Twitter files. But. The former official who might become a big official if there's a change in partisan control sends a letter to the back channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 I, who, who came up with that letter? I mean, I, the, who, whose idea was that to get all those people's names on that letter? I mean, that, I, that to me, it's not going to come out in likely any of these Twitter files. It might if that's the person who's who, you know, is is whose email they're consulting with or whatever. Um, but that person, that person had a political ax to grind. There's, it just doesn't seem like there's any question on that now. And they managed to rope all of these other people in to, to make those decisions. Uh, and something else I think we may, we may see just a, a wild guess off of what makeup some other decisions to, to censor or moderate content, whether they did it or not, what the discussions were. I mean, we've had how many, how many different stories have needed to be from the, um, from the opinion of our betters, uh, kept from our, our sensitive ears, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, what's his name? The Covington school kid story, the, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse story, um, the lab leak, uh, you know, supposedly a hoax that now looks more and more real and, and any number of things involving COVID, the efficacy of vaccines. I mean, you can go on and on all the Trump Russia stuff. Um, how many times were they thinking about, you know, having content moderating? 
who are they consulting with to get this content moderation, even if they didn't ultimately block things, what the discussions were and what they were even considering shutting down would be a very revealing set of facts to find out. And Musk has, 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 you know, in his techie nerd way, kept hinting about releasing the algorithm. Uh, I hope that, you know, to, to explain how they, you know, moderated content, um, I hope there's a, a real world human explanation of, of how that algorithm works. And that might be part of, uh, you know, more of what gets revealed. So I don't, I don't, Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss are real deal journalists who've done good work on other things. And I would trust that they aren't involved in this because they're going to, uh, can, you know, crank out uninteresting content that doesn't have a real world valid point for us to chew over on a future discussion of this sort. Yeah, I think you're right, Ken. I think so, that a lot of what we're going to see is, I think that we are going to see more topics, not just the Hunter Biden stuff, but more topics that were p- potentially censored. But I think what it's going to come to is there are, the GOP House is already talking about investigating the Hunter Biden laptop itself. I think that this will either be a separate investigation related to or part of that investigation, and it's going to come down to how much is government involving itself in the you know, business of social media, private companies, supposedly, um, that is a, that could very well be a free speech situation. It could be a violation of people's right to free speech if they were coercing these businesses. I also think, um, and this is really in our wheelhouse at CRC, uh, back in November, early November, Musk was making comments about how the advertising issue, which I know I keep coming back to, but I think it was a big deal, that there was a letter sent by all of these advocacy groups to businesses saying you need to, you know, stop advertising basically or encouraging them to do to do that with Musk, uh, with Twitter, because Musk had taken it over. And these are groups that we know. Um, the Center for Countering Digital Hate, I think, is one I remember just reading. Um, Accountable Tech. Um, these What's Color that? Color change. change. These are very, you know, partisan left-leaning partisan groups. We, we track them at CRC. Um, this is going to be something I think that, you know, sort of in an ancillary way, we're going to be looking at not just with Twitter, but with other, you know, sort of how, how is, how is the private sector being influenced by government and by partisan nonprofits that are working in, you know, with government. So I think that's going to be a part of it. I expect Elon Musk to talk more about that, but I definitely think Ken, to your point, we're going to hear more about the, about the pandemic, about the virus itself, about treatments, about what the CDC was allowed, was allowing people to, you know, say and think and what they thought was accurate, not on Twitter necessarily, but just what the CDC thought was accurate and whether or not people were being bounced for saying, alternate things. So um, that's what I expect. I think the lab leak um, went from a conspiracy theory to a, you know, a a more than plausible thing. You know, it took a long time. um, And there were people that were, I think, were taken off of Twitter for suggesting it before, uh, before it was the approved information to discuss. And, um, you know, the, 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 
the influencers you just mentioned are definitely people in our wheelhouse uh, to to look at. But we are an influence watching organization, as our website uh, implies. And um, here's a here's an interesting quote from this morning. I think it's this morning's Wall Street Journal from Holman Jenkins. Twitter, you know, it, it goes to the FBI, the media, and the Twitter story. It's Twitter and the dis disinformation wars. The very first line is, each day the world th throws up a novel set of facts that beg to be understood on their own terms, and each day the press shoves them into familiar into a familiar formula. In other words, says, you know what, there's nothing new to see here, please move along, even though th there is something new to see here, and, and, and it continues to be new, and we're going to ignore the fact that we've spent two years telling you this is nonsense. Now we're going to, you know what, we've just discovered the Hunter Biden story, and we're going to tell you all about this incredible laptop thing that we were, you know, actively suppressing a year ago. Um, that's that's the big the, the big story going forward. Um, another big story going forward is is this constant effort by the media to to not do its job, to not I mean think think about when when Elon Musk the Elon Musk of five, six years ago was running a car company that was basically getting government subsidies to create really cool cars to sell to wealthy people subsidized by poor people on a kind of sketchy idea that one day everybody should drive an electric car, ignoring the need to build an electric grid to do this and all sorts of huge technical problems in the way of it. Lots of stuff needed to be picked apart there. Instead, the media just praised this man to the hilt and didn't question anything he was saying, it seemed. Now he's taken over Twitter and he's doing you know we're, we're just going to have free expression and get all of the and get all the opinions out there this is the thing he gets criticized for wildly and roundly and this is supposed to be their job you know and they're and they're actually out actively opposing it so yeah and i think that you know what's interesting too oh i'm sorry but i'll just say this what's interesting too is that it sort of seems to me like the reason the criticism is so harsh now is because the the there was there's a side of our political spectrum that thought that Twitter and some other social media was going to be their 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 PR machine, and it looks like Musk has taken that that at least that part of it away. And I don't think they. You it. see that, and you see that in the howling and screaming about the blue check marks, you know, being given to just anybody now. I mean, I I brought this up on our staff meeting the other day. It, it reminds me of the Dr. Seuss book about the sneeches, you know the. The the the, the, the Starbelly sneeches used to be special, but now when everybody's got one, it's just not so special anymore, and they've got to come up with a new. Movie. So yeah, the tw Twitter was theirs, and it's been taken away from them, and all of these people working for giant, great big giant. So I guess one yeah. one. Go ahead. What I was going to say. One final question before before we break here. Uh, what do we think Musk's end game is? What is what is Obviously, he would like to make money on his giant investment. Uh, but other than that, you know, what do we think that he wants out of this? Well, I have a thought on that. Uh, it was something I was reading earlier. This might be way out of left field. I do believe him because he's kind of got this libertarian streak to him. And libertarians tend to be, well, the good ones tend to be, you know, ideolo ideological. Um, I do believe him when he says that, you know, civilization depends on the ability to sort of 
being just to speak and be heard. Um, I believe that. I don't think that that's, I don't think he's being cynical. I also think he does want to make money and that's part of it. But I just saw an article today about ban- the, the states in lieu of the federal government doing anything about TikTok, states are beginning to legislate uh, some bans related to TikTok. And I have a very strong suspicion that Musk is going to take Twitter toward that realm where, cause he's already talked about longer videos and things like that, that are going to be available to people, blue users. And it, I know that everyone is aware that the, that our country does not enjoy TikTok because it feeds everything back to the CCP. And it does. That's pretty much, I think, without question. So there is a room for a company to fill that void. And I, I honestly so, think that might be the, re- the, the direction he's going. And that would be very lucrative because every kid on the planet right now uses TikTok. He says he, says he wants to turn it into the town square. Um, the town square on, on the base level is free speech. Everybody can talk and chat and move around freely and, and, and interact. Um, that can become very lucrative. Twitter's far behind Facebook in number of users right now. If he can grow that, and, and I wouldn't see any reason why he wouldn't be able to do it. Um, the town square can, you know, fill up with not just a bunch of people talking and chatting, but with a bank and insurance company, a healthcare company, doctor's offices, movie theaters, maybe even a, you know, a few town criers of, you know, old Roman style screaming the news, news reading out to everybody. And who knows what else? Um, This is, you know, he created PayPal or was one of the creators of PayPal um, with the idea I read the book about it. Uh, the, I forgot the name of the book, but it was about the creation of the PayPal mafia, so to speak. Peter Thiel, Musk, a bunch of them. And one of the reasons Musk got sort of pushed out of PayPal was he was looking, he was dreaming too big. The A lot of the folks in it wanted to kind of, they, they, they realized we've got to kind of get down, get our hands around exactly what we want this to be. It can't do all of these other things that you want to do. Elon, he, he had a, he had a website taken out called X.com and X was supposed to be this company that do all of those, you know, a lot of those things I just mentioned, banks, insurance companies, the whole deal, and a lot more. And um, I don't think that dream has ever left Musk's head. I mean, Maybe I think where he's headed in, you know, a kind of an Amazon like um, all things, all people type of company with the added benefit that he has this interactive collection of uh, of users um, who are used to just chatting amongst themselves as well, um, making, you know, as his customer base. So, uh, you know, who knows? I'm not the, I'm not a billionaire because I can't come up with creative ideas about how to use these things. But You're not a billionaire? I does. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for it. If you're listening, Elon, hire me. I, this, this sounds like fun. Um, but uh, I wouldn't bet against him. When he, when he got pushed out of uh, PayPal, according to the book, one of his buddies in the company went to lunch with him. So what to do now? Basically, you've got a new last name. It's called Billionaire. And uh, he said, you know what? I think I'm going to colonize Mars. And he's, you know, on his way to it. So don't bet against him. All right. 
Well, thanks again to my colleagues, Ken Braun and Sarah Lee, for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.